0: Welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 160. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. I don't know what to say now because I don't have my notes in front of me yet. Uh, Let's see. I could sing some show tunes. I could um recite from the big book of... Human Diseases, that would be fun. That's not actually a book I have here, but if my kid Henry was here, he would be all over that. Like, We gotta go get that book! Alright, I have notes now. Yay! We are saved. Otherwise, this would be a whole podcast of you listening to me uh, scratch my dog's ears. Because Bug is here. Uh, she's my co-host today. Uh, okay, what are we doing now? Oh yeah, this thing. Go! Shit, or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes Mad Mike Hughes So now is the time when we check in with Mad Mike Hughes Let's see, what is Mad Mike up to today? Is he mad? Is he Mike still? Maybe he's changed his name. Maybe he's like, uh, um, I don't know Slightly annoyed uh, Marvin Hughes or something. Who knows? All right. I have pulled up Mad Mike's Facebook page. Um, nothing. There's nothing there. He's gone back into seclusion, everybody. The mysterious and much sought Mad Mike has retreated back into the safety of the woods where he can uh, focus on populating the herd it, I don't know. I, I don't know what he's doing when he's not on here posting about his latest personal appearance and not posting about building rockets, which is ostensibly what he is supposed to be doing. With that, I'll do a quick little Google search. As you can tell, ladies and gentlemen, my research for this podcast is very in-depth. Basically amounts to me Googling stuff as I'm talking to you. Now nothing immediately jumps out on a Google search, just old stuff that we've talked about. All right. Well... I assume he will announce something soon, perhaps a rocket launch, but more likely that his stuffed bunny toy is out or the movie is available being beamed into the sky overhead, unlike a rocket or something. And when that happens, we will be here bringing you the latest updates, but not today. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship or else he'll go splat. Mad my, my cues. Mad my, my cues. In other news, I guess I didn't need my notes because I don't have any other news. What's new with you? How's it going out there, guys? Uh, oh, man, really? Uh, Boy, I hope you can get that checked. Uh, oh, yeah, I didn't need to know that. Really, there are boundaries, guys. You can share things with people, but boy Yeah, you gotta you got censor yourself a little bit and whoa no, I didn't need to see pictures. How'd you even do that? This is an audio podcast. And uh alright, well let's move on. Let's talk about this week's game. This week's game is Codebreaker from Atari nineteen uh you know what? I don't even know. Uh, I'll be right back. This commercial is based on a true story. Hello? Tracy? No, we don't need a babysitter tonight. Thanks, anyway. After a family bought an Atari video game, they had no trouble getting babysitters. Oh, my God. Hello? Kate? No, we don't need a babysitter tonight. Bye. Everybody enjoys Atari because Atari has so many different games to enjoy. Hello? Karen? No, we don't need a babysitter tonight. No other company offers you as many different video game cartridges as Atari. Alright. The strategy wiki says the Codebreaker came out uh, it was one of the 11 Atari, titles, Atari 2600 titles, released as part of the second wave of games in 1978. One of the first games to utilize the Atari keypad controller. Sounds good to me. Uh, I feel bad. I should at least have done that much research before recording today. But uh, I didn't. Uh, you know, My humble apologies. The game uh, consists of two different games, Codebreaker and Nim. Game Code Breaker is identical to the game more commonly referred to as Mastermind, which itself is a recreation of a much older game called Bulls and Cows. Uh, I think Mastermind, much better title, if you ask me. Players must try to guess the correct combination of numbers after being told how many digits in their guess are correct, and how many of those digits are in the correct place. NIM is an older game. The object of that game is to pick up the last object or in some versions to avoid picking up the last object. By systematically removing any number of objects from one particular column out of a set of available columns. Although it sounds simple in description, it can take some time to develop a proper winning strategy. I like the idea that NIM can be two completely opposite things. Either you're supposed to pick up the last object, or not. I think it'd be cool if other games were like that. What if, like uh, Monopoly, the point wasn't to win all the money and bankrupt the other players, but rather to give all the money away? It'd be like um, if they turned Brewster's Millions, the movie. Was it a book originally? I don't know. It was a movie, like a really, really old movie uh, from like the 30s. And then they remade it with Richard Pryor in, I think, the the 80s sometime. And I really liked that one. I watched that one quite a bit as a kid. I never saw the original, I don't think. Uh, but the point of it was, he's just an ordinary guy. This eccentric, old, rich dude leaves him. $30 million, at least in the remake, it was $30 million. It tells him he has 30 days to spend it, but he can't tell anyone why he's spending it. All people are going to know is that he inherited a ton of money, and he's just basically blown it on whatever. Uh, and at the end of 30 days, he can't have any of the money left, and he can't um, he can't have any stuff. Um, he, can, he can rent stuff to use during the 30 days, but he can't have anything, he can't own anything at the end of the 30 days. And he has to have blown all the, the whole 30 million bucks. And if he can do it, then he inherits his real inheritance, which is $300 million. It's a pretty good movie. Uh, go check it out. Richard Pryor, John Candy. Good stuff. Has nothing to do with Codebreaker. But I'm more interested in talking about this movie because Codebreaker, spoiler, pretty boring. Uh, anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. I was going to tell you how to play Codebreaker, which I already kind of did, uh, thanks to the Strategy Wiki but I have perhaps the longest manual ever for an Atari game to describe how to play a game that is essentially really boring and pretty simple. You're just pressing keys on a keypad controller until you hit on the right numbers. We are using the uh, keyboard controller, which I bought, I think, specifically for this game a long time ago. I don't think I've used it for any other games. Uh, I gather there are other games that use it, but it's making its debut on the podcast today. Congratulations. We get a helpful hint in the manual, by the way. To prolong the life of your Atari video computer system and to protect the electronic components, the console should be off when inserting or removing a game program. Thank you for that. So we're told the computer, computer or another player has created the secret code and your mission is to guess the code. The code's identity is affected by the number of digits, duh, game's... Feature codes with three or four digits. The number span. Games feature codes with numbers from one to nine or one to six. You have 12 guesses to identify the secret code with the keyboard controller. Use the controller to enter the number of digits of your guess onto the screen. The computer will then analyze each number digit of your code guess. During code breaker games, games, the upper left number refers to the number of guesses players have made during the present game. At the end of the game, the left controller player's score appears in this position. In one-player Codebreaker games, the number appears, meaning the right-hand score appears throughout the game to show the number of consecutive games of Codebreaker you've played. In two-player games, the n- number refers to the right controller player's score. Here's a little diagram of the screen. Please uh, open your eyes, wake up in the back, put you know, take off your sleeping masks, put down the Ambien. They still ambient, Still sell Ambien. Probably not. It's kind of dangerous. Don't take sleeping pills, people. Uh, So here's the little diagram. Alright. The secret code will appear above the list of player guesses at the end of the game. It'd be kind of dumb if they put it at the beginning of the game. Seems to me. The number code guess you enter into the computer appears on the left side of the screen. After you register your player guess with the computer, the computer will respond with symbols that analyze your guess. A black line signifies that one of the number digits is the correct identity and in the correct position. A white line signifies that one of the number digits is the correct identity, but in the incorrect position. The flashing square, or the cursor, appears in the position of the next number entry into the computer. In two-player games, the color of the line and its position indicate whose keyboard controller must register the next guess. A white line appears on the far right of the playfield, meaning the right controller player must enter a guess. A black line appears to the left of this position during the left controller player's turn. The computer selects the secret number code in a one-player game. You have 12 guesses to identify the code. Your number of guesses equals your point score. For example, if you guess the secret code at the fourth guess, you score, wait for it, four points. Man, I'm trying really hard to inject some excitement into this. Two-player code-breaker games. There are two ways for two players to play code-breaker. One, the computer selects the secret number code. You and your opponent take turns making guesses. In the first game of a series of consecutive games, The right controller player always makes the first guess. The first player to match the secret number code scores one point and starts the next game. Two, the player creates the secret number code using the keyboard controller. The opponent then tries to guess the secret code in the least number of guesses. When the opponent guesses the secret code, his score is equal to the number of guesses. For example, a player scores four points when He guesses the secret code on the fourth guess. During the next game, the roles are reversed, and the player who tried to guess the code becomes the player who creates the secret code. Holy crap. That is some excitement there. Note, only the player who is guessing the secret code has a chance to score points. When playing a series of consecutive games, begin the first game with the left controller player who tries to guess the secret code. Code breaker scoring. Uh, We've already kind of talked about this a little bit. If you guess the code on the sixth guess, you get a score of 6, so obviously your object is to score of the lowest possible score. Your cumulative score appears in the upper left corner of the screen at the end of the game. Using the keyboard. Use the left keyboard controller to play one-player code breaker games. To make a guess, press the number digits on the keyboard, then press the enter button, which is just the pound sign. Digits you have entered will appear on the left side of the screen, the computer will then analyze your guess with computer symbols. A series of two-player games begins with the right controller Player. In codebreaker games where a player must create the secret code, press the digits of the secret code on the keyboard controller, those digits appear in the upper left corner of the screen. Press enter button and the digits disappear. Now your opponent starts to make guesses using the same procedure as in one player games. In 1978, you hand a kid a keyboard controller and tell him to enter digits on a screen and press enter and all that stuff. It had to blow your mind. How cool is this? You must have thought. And now it just seems quaint, because we are from the future, and we look down on the past. That is how we do. Those who forget history are doomed to repeat it, but those who look at history and think, ha ha ha, how stupid they were, we're much smarter, are just jerks. During Codebreaker games, when the right difficulty switch is in the A position, you have 8 guesses. I thought it was 6. In B position, you have 12 guesses. Alright. Now, I'm sure it said 6. Now it's bugging me. I gotta go look. Um... All right. Maybe not. I guess I don't see it now. I was dreaming. Anyway, there's a bunch more stuff in the manual, but it's really just repeated. The, the whole manual is huge, but it really just repeats itself. I'll skip right to Nim. Nim is the oldest mathematical game known to man. In this computer version of Nim, there are 1 to 4 stacks of objects. You must take turns with the computer or another player removing any number of objects from any stack. During a turn, you must take at least one object and can turn objects out of only one stack and can take objects out of only one stack. During a series of consecutive two-player Nim games, you and your opponent must take turns removing the first object. There are two kinds of Nim games: regular Nim, you win the game when you remove the last object from the screen, and Nim Missouri, M I S E R E, you lose the game when you remove the last object from the screen. Either the computer can set up the game uh, or the player can set it up. The stash, stacks of objects appear on the left side of the screen. The cursor is used to remove objects from each stack. And in two player games, the score of the left controller player is in the upper left corner, the right controller player scores in the upper right corner. In one player games your scores in the upper left corner, the computer scores in the upper right. I be honest, I haven't actually played NIM on here yet. It sounds a little bit to me like computer Tetris. Or not Tetris. Um, um Jenga. Computer Jenga. A player scores one point when he wins a NIM game. In regular NIM games you score one point when you remove the last object from the screen. In NIM Missouri games, you score one point when you force your opponent to remove the last object from the screen. There are 12 games possible on the Code Breaker cartridge. Games 1 through 6 feature a three-digit code. Actually, I should clarify. There are 12 Code Breaker games. 1 through 6 are three-digit codes. 4 through or 7 through 12 are four-digit games. Games 13 through 20 are NIM games. According to Wikipedia, NIM or variations of Nim have been played since ancient times. The game is said to originate in China. It closely resembles the Chinese game of Zi, which I'm sure I'm pronouncing horribly, or quote, picking stones. The origin is uncertain. The earliest European references to Nim are from the beginning of the 16th century. Its current name was coined by Charles L. Bouton of Harvard University, who also developed a the complete theory of the game in 1901. But the origins of the name were never fully explained. Perhaps he was drunk. I added that part. But you know, it's Wikipedia, so I could go in and enter that as truth if I wanted to. Nim is typically played as a Missouri, M-I-S-E-R-E, with one of those uh, little accent marks over the first E, uh, in which the player to take the last object loses. Nim can also be played as a normal play game, all in italics where the player taking the last object wins. This is called normal play because the last move is a winning move in most games, even though it is not the normal way that NIM is played. Normal play NIM, or more precisely the system of NIMbers, is, fundamentally, is fundamental to the Sprague-Grundy theorem, which essentially says that in normal play, every impartial game is equivalent to a NIM heap that yields the same outcome when played in parallel with other normal play impartial games. Someone who's more versed in game theory than me... Maybe could explain this, and if you have thoughts, and if you know something about game theory, please share those thoughts with me by contacting me by email or voicemail in the ways that will be talked about at the end of the show. Atari Codebreaker was a fall 2017 TV show on Discovery Channel, a game show first broadcast in the UK and Poland, followed by a selection of other European countries on Discovery Science. A unique and captivating quiz game, I'm reading this from the uh, press release announcing the show, imagined for the Atari generation and their families. Conceived for Discovery Science, the TV show will be themed around global global sciences. Each episode of Atari Codebreaker consists of four rounds. During the first two rounds, three players will compete in a quiz covering all science topics, from astronomy, geography, and everyday science to everything in between. Then the winners compete in the two last rounds, during which they have to find the right combination to open the safe, And win all the fabulous prizes it contains. And perhaps release the other two players before they die of suffocation. Again, I added that part. IMDB says the show ran for 20 episodes. So I don't know if that was a a success or not. Uh, If anyone remembers watching this, let me know. Because I don't remember that at all. My super super superficial research uh, yielded no reviews of Codebreaker, the game. Which doesn't shock me because there's not a whole lot to say about it, uh, which makes it tough to do a podcast episode, but we'll power through. So after the break, don't go breaking my code. I couldn't if I tried. Honey, if I get restless, baby, you're not that kind. Nobody knows it. So listen to the rest of the show. Please, I'm stuck here. You got to stay with me. Everybody. welcome to the party. We're about to play perhaps the most boring Atari game ever. Can you feel the excitement? Woohoo! All right, let's do it. Hey, wake up in the back. All right. So I have my keyboard controller. I have Codebreaker in the uh, in the slot. Let's do it. Okay, I'm making my guess. Looking just uh, looking at just a plain green screen. Got my cursor blinking at me. Ooh, what should I guess? I have many options. Zero through nine. Oh, I think I'll go zero. One, two. Oh, I guess zero isn't an option. Um. All right, one, one, two then. Ooh, one of the digits is correct. Um, two, guess all twos. Nope. Um, I guess one then is one of the digits. One, four, five. Oh, one of them's in the correct spot. And one is correct. Huh. Boy, the tension is mounting, isn't it, everybody? Okay. Um, four, five, two. Nope. Um. I just don't know. What am I gonna do? 665. Okay. So it's the 5 that's in the right position, I think. Nope. No 7. No 8. No 9. Um. Let's go. 455. Five. Uh, two, three, five. Nope. Wait, what'd I do? None of those digits was correct. How'd I do that? okay. So five is in the middle. How about two, five, three? How about four, five, six? Oh, two correct digits. Oh, man, we are almost there. Um... Let's go one five six. Uh, five five six. Nope, didn't like that at all. Let's see. Um, those of you who haven't gotten up to go to the restroom, what should I pick? Uh, three five six. Four five. Six. I guess that was it. I failed the missiles launch or whatever horrible thing is supposed to happen if you don't break the code I have inadvertently started a new game 562 wow right off the bat two numbers are correct look at that wait maybe this is the same game I don't know don't really care 452 563 569 no doesn't like that 568 Five six seven. Five six one. Okay. So it's the, it the six that you like Six four two. Six, four, three. Six, four, one. One, six, four. Six, three, two. Boom. Hey, that's three. Why didn't you cheer for me? Oh, but they're not in the right position. I get it. Okay. Three, two, six. Alright. Well, on that note, uh, I am going to go get some strong coffee and try to wake up while you all go... Back to the studio, hey everyone. This is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line? We also review budget games, which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that, and for free, just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's X-E-G-S, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. 90 seconds later, I'm in the only room in the house where a boy of nine could sit in privacy and decode. (laughs) Ah, B. <laughs> I went to the next. E. The first word is B. S. It was coming easier now. U. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, R. R. Oh, see, I gotta go. I'll be right down, Mom. Gee whiz. G. O. Be sure to. Be sure to what? What was Little Orphan Annie trying to say? Be sure to what? Please come out. Oh, right, Ma. I'll be right out. I was getting closer now. The tension was terrible. What was it? The fate of the planet may hang in the balance. No. Andy's got to go. I'll be right out. Slide out loud. She's <laughs> almost there. My fingers flew. My mind was a steel trap. Every pore vibrated. It was almost clear. Yes. 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 Ovaltine. Ovaldeen A crummy commercial? Son of a bitch. I went out to face the world again. Wiser. So here's the thing about Codebreaker. <laughs> oh, what, wait, wait, what? Sorry, I nodded off. Uh, so here's the thing about Codebreaker. It's... See, and usually here I say fine. And I gotta remember, it was 1978 when the prospect of playing a video game on your TV at home was still pretty exciting. So I have to think about 1978, me, who was about six or seven, depending on what time of the year it was. Would uh, six or seven year old me, yeah, might have kind of liked this game. He wouldn't have played it all the time, he would have much preferred, um, uh, you know, the other ones you could get at that time. He would have played this a little bit. He would have thought, oh, that's kind of cool. I got this keypad controller, which I never had as a kid. I never had the uh, keyboard controllers. So I guess I would have really not liked this game if I just sat there and couldn't play it at all. I don't know. If anyone's really in love with Code Codebreaker, uh, contact me and tell me why. I don't hate it because it's not a hate-inspiring game, but I don't really like it either. So let's just do this other thing that maybe is more fun. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story is titled Death by the Numbers. A Steve Stetson, 1980s Super Spy Adventure. San Francisco, the early morning hours, a nondescript warehouse. Ivana Kill You circles a cot in the center of the room, illuminated only by a single light from overhead. A man lies on the bed, moaning softly. His suit looks good, though. You're running out of time, mister Stetson, she says. The poison works fast. Who do you work for? Stetson's head is swimming. It's like that time when he was eight, And his dad made him smoke a cigarette, But he didn't want to smoke a cigarette. But his dad said, Be a man. And lit up a lucky strike. And it was gross. And... Focus, Stetson. Thoughts come to him slowly like running crap through a colander. You'll be dead soon if you don't do something. Stetson suddenly remembers where he is. San Francisco! They have earthquakes here, don't they? With all the strength he has, Stetson wills a small-scale earthquake to hit the building right now. And... Holy crap! It actually happens. Stetson manages to roll off the cop and underneath it for cover as Ivana Kilyu is knocked off her feet, then knocked out by debris. The earthquake stops. All is silent. Stetson thrusts a hand into Kilyu's brazier, taking more time than is probably necessary to find the vial with the antidote, and guzzles it down. Rejuvenated, Stetson steps outside the warehouse, the only building hit by the freak earthquake. Stetson shrugs. I told her I'd rocked her world. Stetson sits at the computer terminal, a light but manly sheen of sweat on his brow. D seven. He says loudly into a microphone over the din of the klaxon warning of an imminent missile launch. Then waits. When nothing happens, he murmurs, "Damn." C four, nothing. Stetson, Commander Maddie Grim barks, "Time is running out." Almost there, Maddie. Stetson says, eyes not leaving the screen, but reaching for a ham sandwich. A mouthful of ham, he says into the microphone. E nine, that wasn't it either. This isn't looking good, Commander. Need I remind you, Stetson, the fate of the world is in your hands. Stetson nods. Don't I know it? He frowns at a brown mustard stain on his member's only jacket. Ah. Focus, Stetson. Grim says, pacing now. F two, Stetson says, rubbing his face. All right, now we're getting somewhere. You have it. Grim's voice was hoarse with tension. Even the hairs on her fake fur hat were standing on end. When the intonation of F-3 gets a desired effect, a jubilant Stetson asks if Grimm would like to have his baby. She ignores him, which is just generally good advice. Maddie looks at the school gymnasium-style institutional clock on the concrete block wall and does not like what she sees. Stetson, we need the override code. Now, those missiles are about to launch. Stetson cocks his head. Code? Oh, yeah. I finished that an hour ago. He snags a strap of paper off the, off the corner of his desk. Here you go. Grimm's face remains impassive, but overlaid with a sh- with a shroud of disbelief, monogrammed with disgust. Then what the hell have you been doing? Playing Battleship via dial-up modem with Nick over in HR. These things are so cool. I wonder if you could send porn by computer. Grimm is ready to unload, but Stetson waves a reassuring hand. It's okay. I think I'm about to sink Nick's aircraft carrier. Grimm peels her, her hate-filled eyes away from Stetson and frowns at Stetson's chicken scratch on the paper. The hell is this nonsense? Pig Latin, Stetson says. Only the most advanced code breakers know about it. He takes the paper back from Grimm and recites. Ush pay. Aounday. Urteen thigh. I'm She frowns. The hell is that? Told you. Pig Latin, Stetson says. It means pushed down 13 times. It's a page out of the Elevator re- Repair Manual. The Elevator Repair... What are you talking about, Stetson? The best place to hide sensitive codes like, like missile launch and disarmi- disarming codes is in a text no one reads, Stetson says, grinning. No one but yours truly. But how did you... Grim's head is swimming. G9, Stetson says into the microphone, then to Grim. Missile starts with M, which is the thirteenth letter of the alphabet, so I looked on page thirteen, and obviously, Pig Latin is one of the hardest codes to crack, fitting for a missile code, and only hardest for anyone who isn't me. You press the down button on the elevator thirteen times. M is the thirteenth letter, remember, because you want to bring the missiles down. Obvious, really. Grim just gapes at Stetson. You better hustle, Stetson says. Wasting time. D-6. Grim shakes her head and sprints to the elevator. This is ridiculous, she repeats, loudly as she runs. But she hits the down button 13 times in rapid succession. She crosses her fingers and various other body parts, desperately hoping to avoid Armageddon and also hoping no co-workers are are watching. The warning clacks and abruptly ceases. A computer monotone voice announced, Missile launch aborted. All clear. The lights come back up and all is quiet. But all at once, Stetson lets out a blood-turtling yell, Grim sprints back to the computer room. What? What is it? More missiles? Stetson beams. Nope. I just sank Nick's battleship. You're an idiot. <laughs> And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons use of his songs, Refermat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks also to Mike Mann for his Mad Mike Hughes update theme. And thanks to Sean Courtney for the storytime theme. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcasters, which you know because you're listening to one. Uh, that includes Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and of course, wherever you go to listen to the podcast, you need to crack the code that will allow you into Apple Podcasts to leave a review. Please try not to write that review in Pig Latin, but you know what? You do you. And now, you can call the show, but I won't talk to you. Instead, leave us a voicemail about any damn thing you want at 563-265-1978. You can also support the show financially at the Atari Bytes Patreon page, or by picking up Atari Bytes merchandise at the ab underscore pod underscore store on Zazzle.com. And as always, if you have ideas for things you would like to see in the store, let me know. Let's brainstorm. The website is ataribytes.libson.com. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the Ataribytes Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at Ataribytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And of course, wander over at Instagram if you're so inclined, because occasionally. There are odd little things over there, too. And don't forget to check out my other podcast. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown, for all your Peanuts gang-related needs. TV shows, movies, the comic strip, obviously, merchandise, philosophy, the mind of Charles Schultz himself, if it has anything to do with the Peanuts universe, we're going to talk about it over there. New episodes drop on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bytes. We're jumping into the time machine and going to the future again with a 7800 game called Xenophobe. This was one of my go-tos in the arcade as a kid and I was so excited to get it for my 7800 when I got a 7800 as an adult. Does the game hold up? Eh, Find out next week. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. And lit up a Marlboro, uh, a Marlboro, Let's write that. and lit up a lucky strike.